Does God exist? I have to tell you, when I got the topic, uh, I love to preach. So anytime I get a chance to, to do it, uh, I like to take the challenge. And um, when I heard the topic, I almost say, what? <laughs> you want me to, to explain, give evidence that God exists? Uh, how do I even do that? Uh, I've been a believer for, for most of my life um, since I was the age of eight. Uh, I'm 44, so it's been a while. And um, so to, I don't think I have ever had to answer that question uh, for myself. It's just, it seems like I always had faith. I always known that there was a God. But as we saw in the video, not everybody has that experience. So let me start with this. First of all, we're going to explore some evidence that we have. It's not going to be exhaustive. I don't, think, I don't believe that there is a really a, a way to prove philosophically speaking, that God exists. Uh, I, don't, I cannot 100% bring to you the idea that, and, and convince you outside of, of my experience that God exists. Like I can convince you that 2 plus 2 is 4. What makes it more difficult is not that there's a lack of evidence. It's that when we engage in this discussion, we, we bring all kinds of presuppositions to the table, all kinds of experiences uh, they sometimes get on the way uh, to understand or to really consider the evidence. And, and let me just say this. I believe that God has designed our ability to know him uh, to go beyond just facts and things that we can serve in the natural world. He has given us, he requires a, a faith. But I understand that for people, faith can be a stumbling block. You know, the idea that, that there's a being, like the video says, they will judge me based on short years of experience. So what I'm asking you this, uh, this evening before we, we start and dive into this uh, message is open, be free to consider the evidence that I'm going to present to you. Give yourself the freedom to say, to put aside your experiences. Maybe you had good experience, bad experience of religion, or you are hurt, or you just don't believe in a God that cares about you. But for some reason, you're here. So may I encourage you to just for a moment, leave those things aside. Give yourself the freedom to consider what we're going to talk about today. And maybe you will find peace. Maybe you'll be surprised at what you can learn. There are two types of evidence that we talk in, in the theological world. The first one um, we call general revelation. And uh, general revelation or natural revelation. And the second one we call special revelation. And in the theological circles and in this discipline of study, that's what we call them. General revelation and special revelation. And basically uh, we're going to touch base a little bit on, some of, on those two things and, um, and explore but let's first consider uh, general revelation. Uh, general revelation is this. General revelation is God's self-manifestation through nature, history, and the inner being of the human person. It's available to all people at all time and in all places. We call it revelation. We can call it uh, general evidence or natural evidence, Right? And it's called general because anybody, you don't have to believe in, we believe, you don't have to believe in God 
or even have a religion or be part of a church to be able to observe this evidence that God exists. So in the 13th century, there was a Dominican priest and church father Thomas of Aquinas, and he wrote this. There are twofold modes of truth in what we profess about God. Some truths about God exceed all the ability of human reason, such as the truth that God is triune. But there are some truths which the natural reason is, is able to reach, such as truth, the truth that God exists, that he is one, and the alike. In fact, such truths about God have been proven demonstrably demonstrably by the philosophers guided through the life of natural reason. What Thomas Aquinas here is saying is that there are some things about God that can be learned by natural observation. There are things that we can learn, like the fact that God does exist. Now, let me, let me give you, consider this, the dog's view of general revelation. So when a dog thinks about his, his uh, owner, he thinks, he feeds me, he gives me water, he provides me shelter, he spends time with me, he takes me, well, I don't know that typo right there. Yeah, he takes me for a walk, and that's a D, that should be an F, for a walk to take care of my needs. So the conclusion is that he is God. Next slide, please. Maybe. No. He must be God. My owner must be God because he provided me with all things. That's a crazy looking dog. <laughs> he looks happy. That's how static we are when we find that God is true God. Let me tell you. Now let's talk about a cat's view. Same questions. Same observation. The cat's view about his owner. He says, you know, he feeds me. He gives me water. He provides me a shelter. He spends time with me. He takes... Oh. Takes me door for a walk, not necessarily, but he takes it. I must be God. I must be God. Sometimes that's how we are when we look at God, when we consider God. Human beings, we, we tend to make things all about us. You know, and I think that's why there are so many uh, religions today. Their God reflects themselves. God is like me, just a better version of myself. I do have cats. I don't hate them. But, they, yeah, that cat reminds me of my cat. He thinks we exist to serve him. Let's first think, talk about evidence in nature. Since the early records of human history, cultures and people of the world have taken nature and it's uh, to, uh, to be the work of a human being, of a, not a human being, a supreme being. They, this past summer, my family and I, we had the opportunity to go to Mexico after 20-some years. I hadn't been back, and we went to this city. We looked like a Indiana Jones family wannabes. <laughs> but we visited this city, Teotihuacan, who was established uh, 100, uh, the, the year 100 before Christ. And um, by the, we don't know the original name of the city. It was finished, it was completed, being built by the year 250 after Christ. And so it took about 30, I mean, 10 generations to build and to establish. And this city was kind of special because the word Teotihuacan can be translated this, the birthplace of the gods. 
This is a view from the top of the main temple, the temple to the sun. The little temple over there is the temple to the moon. Beautiful place. And from here, uh, the Aztecs uh, will say, this is a place, this is the origin where the gods created everything. This is the point of origin to all creation. And basically, every culture in history has looked at nature and come to the conclusion that there must be a God or gods. They see the power of creation. They look around the sky, the storms, and the beauty of nature, and they say there has to be. They don't necessarily doubt that there's a God. They just don't know what God it is. From observing nature, Isaac Newton said this, this most important, beautiful, this most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and the comets could only be could only proceed from the counsel and the dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. It's Isaac Newton, not a theologian, a physicist, right? His conclusion is that this, this, is not, this creation cannot be an accident. This did not just happen. It's so beautiful. It's just too complex a physicist named Paul Davis is an English physicist, writer, broadcaster, professor at Arizona State University, and as well as a director of Beyond the Center for Fundamental Concepts in Science. David has received awards of the Eureka Prize and many things. He even has a planet named after himself. And this is what he says, scientists are slowly waking up to an inconvenient truth. The universe looks Suspiciously like a fix. The issue concerns every law of nature themselves. For 40 years, physicists and cosmologists have been quietly collecting examples of all too convenient coincidence and special features in the underlying laws of the universe that seem to be necessary in order for life, and hence conscious beings to exist. Change any of them, and the consequences will be lethal. Scientists are looking at this who are convinced that, that all this just kind of evolved, that this big accident just happened to happen. And uh, the more they look into the detail, they have to come to the conclusion that it looks like somebody has their hand in this. Somebody fixed this accident. Somebody had intentionally interfered with it. And, and it's going to get to a point that they just cannot deny that the idea of a, just accidental or, or coincidence created this world is just not possible. My son, Joel, reminded me uh, as I was sharing a little bit about this, and he said, you know that? I learned that if you just, we just get a 1,000 miles closer, and one mile or a 1,000 miles closer to the sun, we're toast, literally. We're our planet, we cannot sustain life. Itty-bitty changes if the gravity gets a little, the pool gets stronger, not only will we be shorter, we just will die. The evidence says that this cannot just happen by accident. Now, the Bible points us to this as evidence. And, and we heard it before this morning, Psalm 19, 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God. The Bible itself is saying, God is, the psalmist said, look at the heavens. 
You want evidence? Look at the heavens. Is the glory of God that day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Look at the heavens. And the conclusion will be that not only that God exists, but there is more than you can understand. So when we come to general revelation, we look at nature, creation. Now there's another thing. There's a human evidence. Evidence in humans. The concept of reason, perhaps one of the strongest evidence of the existence of God is found in our humanity. We have to consider our, that we have the ability as humans to think, to communicate, to create. We are at the top of the food chain. Have you noticed that? Not because we're the strongest, it's because we're the smartest. Because we can reason. Reason is defined as this. Reason is the power of the mind to think, understand, and form judgments by a process of logic. Now, you don't have to believe in God to know that you can reason, to make a decision, you know, to balance your checkbook, to choose right from wrong. I think the fact that we can choose wrong, it should tell us that we're not just a superly involved animal because we can choose intentionally. We have a judgment system, right? When something goes wrong, we cry for, ju for, for justice. We want justice. I, I was walking from Moody, um, from my office at Moody, walking over here to the, to the church uh, once in a while, and there's a billboard on the side of one of the bus, bus stations. It says something about trees need lawyers too. Trees need lawyers too. There's a sense of us that it's an injustice to cut, injustice to cut a tree, so we should defend the rights of trees. There's a sense of us, in the side of us, that we have morality, that we can tell right from wrong. Gene uh, Dexetti is a professor of psychology and psychiatry at the University of Chicago and the director of Child uh, Neurosight. He focused his work on the development of moral uh, Cognition and Behavior in Young Children. Along with Jason Cowell, Assistant Professor of Psychology uh, at Ripon University, they wrote this article. And this is what they, they one of the findings says, morality is so deeply, deeply rooted in the fabric of our everyday lives that it seems hard to imagine a society without any moral, any rules, moral rules. Indeed, observations made by scientists who study different societies around the world have shown that despite of cultural and individual differences, all human beings have, have some sense of right and wrong. All human beings have a sense of right and wrong. Actually, somebody who cannot tell right from wrong, we deem to be ill, Right? Where do we get this sense of justice, this sense of right and wrong? Isaiah 30, 18 says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Where do we get a sense of justice? From God. The fact that we are moral beings and that we can make decisions about right and wrong is evidence 
that it has to come from somewhere. It doesn't come from the material world. No animal does it. Blessed are those who wait for him. It's not only that, but the Bible says that God has made himself so much Enough known for us to be whole accountable. And we read that several times. Romans 1, 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has showed it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. The fact that the Bible says that just by observing the word, we, stood, we are responsible for, for what we do. We are held responsible for our wrongdoings and for our sin. Without having to deal with God, without having to accept Christ, we already held responsible because a just God would have revealed to us and put in us a sense of right and wrong from the very time he created us. problem is, and, and that's kind of a problem because while that, that nature, the uh, general revelation, God's, the, the evidence in nature that God exists is enough to condemn that it's not good enough to save us. So how do we know God? And knowing God is what we talk next about special revelation. Special revelation, knowing God. The fact is that for God to be, for us to know God, God had to make himself known to us. Dr. Charles Ryrie was a professor of systematic theology in the Dino Doctoral Studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. He wrote this, a full knowledge of God is both factual and personal. To know facts about a person without knowing that person is limiting. To know a person without knowing Facts about that one is shallow. God has revealed many facts about himself, all of which are important in making our personal relationship with him close, intelligent, and useful. You get that? Just knowing the facts about God is very limiting. Just knowing that he exists in, in the sense of nature is limiting. We, we cannot be saved. It's not until we come to know him in a personal relationship. Then, then we can have a, a deep, meaningful, and a life-changing experience. Special revelation is this. is God's particular communication and manifestation of himself to particular persons at a particular time. Available not only in the consultation of certain sacred writings, a.k.a. The Bible. Our sacred writings are the scriptures for the believers, for the Christian, for the use as well. Limiting, but still sacred. And, and, and here's the evidence that God that, we, that has been revealed to us is a personal God. The Bible is, is the sacred text for us, and, and we see even it's a complete it's a complete uh, revelation. I mean, the book of Revelation, chapter 22, 18 and 19 says, I warn everybody who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God would add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the word of the book 
of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which is described in this book. And what he's talking about, specifically about the book of Revelation, we adapt to the whole scripture to say this work is complete. The Bible is a complete revelation from God. And I can say that because I believe it, I have experienced it. The Bible presents God as a personal God who is involved in the lives of his creation. Let's look at Exodus 3.14. It says, God said to Moses. It's interesting that God uses the background of the historical Israel to present who he is. And we often see the contrast between Israel and humanity representing all of us and in the holy God. And show us our need of him and how, how we fall short. But here's how personal God is. And he says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. He is personally talking to Moses. And he says, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Not only that, there's many I am's in the Bible, but Exodus 3.14 says, I will take you to be my people, talking to Israel, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. I'm going to take you. I have chosen you. You're going to be my people, and you're going to get to know me. You may not know that I'm your God right now. You, you probably don't know anything about me, but you will get to know me. I will show you who I am. You will get to know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Isaiah 41, 13, for I, the Lord your God, hold you, hold your right hand. It is I who says to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. See, the God of the Bible is a personal God who who intentionally has made himself known so that we get to know him. And it's a beautiful story of a very imperfect, sinful, rebellious people. And, and not to pick on the Israelites, but that, they represent all of us. Now, the beauty thing is that you look at Israel now, right? They have multiple Nobel Award winners Scientists, that some of the best technology is coming out of Israel. Their finance, their, 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 G, uh, their finance system is one of the strongest in the whole world. The unemployment is down to single digits. They're surrounded by all their enemies and nobody can touch them. You want evidence that God is a personal God that keeps his promise? Just read the headlines about the nation of Israel. Do they recognize Christ? No. Some do. But God is, is, is a God that keeps his word because he's a personal God. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. I will help you. You don't have to fear anything. Not only that, but God came in human flesh. God made himself known in human flesh. John 1, John 1, 9 and 12 says, The truth, light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was a word. The, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive it. But all that 
who did receive him, who believed in his name, he made, he gave the right to become children of God. The light came into the world. That is the most significant, special, intentional, in history, revelation of God of making himself known in the person of Jesus Christ. Doesn't get any more personal and special than that. Look at what Hebrews 1, 1 and 3 says. Long ago, put it in context where we are. Long ago, to men, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Whom he appointed to heir of all things. Through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by his word. The word of his power. After making purification for sin. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Isn't that beautiful? In the past, God revealed his safe. He spoke to us through the prophets. But now, by now, in the era of the church, he has been through Christ. The Gospels, the New Testament reveals to us who God is. And how much His love us through the person of Christ. That is the greatest revelation, special revelation of God making himself known. Isn't that great? You can know, and that's why, that's why if we don't talk about Jesus, then we fall short of sharing the full revelation of God. If we don't talk about Christ and what he's done and who he is, then we fall short of really telling the world of what we know of the existence of God and what he wants from us. And third, I don't know in what order to put it, to be honest, it just landed here, but the life of the believer. <laughs> the life of the believer is a revelation of God because he becomes the work of the living God. First Timothy 1, 12 and on. It says, I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is Paul talking to Timothy. Because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service. Through, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I had received mercy. Because I had acted in ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love there are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason. That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who, are, who were to believe in him for eternal life. The redeemed 
life, the redeemed work of Christ in the life of the unbeliever or the sinner is one of the greatest evidence that God exists. When you get the opportunity to examine somebody's life and to tell you who they were and where they live and what they did, and now they're, they're bringing glory to God and being compassionate and loving when they probably were hateful, self-centered, and now they share all they have. That becomes some evidence of the reality of God because we don't change. We don't change ourselves. Just look at all the resolutions that have been broken. <laughs> we can't. We can't change ourselves, so it had to be somebody from outside, and that is God, and, and we're transformed by his word. You know, that's why I'm a Moody Church. That's why I became a member of Moody Church. It's not because I find a lot of people that look like me, even though I do. It's not because I love, you know, my favorite music is organ music, which is it's okay. It's because... This was a place where, where everything is about the word of God. It's not, it wasn't Dr. Luther's opinion. It was what the word said. And I could open my Bible and grow it. And I saw that impact. Even though I had been a Christian for many years, I saw the impact of the word of God and how it changed me. And I decided this is a place where the true God is being worshipped. The transformed life of the believer is a great evidence. It's a special evidence that God is still at work today. Maybe he's not talking to us saying that I am, but he spoke to us through Jesus. He's the ultimate revelation. So what? So what? Why do we know that with us? So, is there, so there's a God in the Bible you know, does he care about me? He does. What does he want from me? Well, let me tell you what he wants for you if you're a believer. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If you're a believer, here is a challenge for you. You are called to be a light to the world. These are Jesus' words. They're not mine. We need to be a light to the world. We need to let his work shine through us so that others give glory to God. When they figure out that there was nothing in us good, yet something great came out of us, it had to be the living God living in us. Are you being the light of the world? Are you being the evidence that God can use so that others come to give and glory? Because the ultimate purpose of humanity is to bring glory to God. Solomon said that God created us. Not just because he was bored, but he created us to be in relationship with him. He created us so that we may bring glory to him. Have you gotten to the point in your life, Christian walk, where you say, all I want to do today is bring glory to God. 
That's what I'm all about. Don't take me out of the game, Lord. Let me go do another touchdown for you and give you glory. Lord, don't take me home yet. If there's still something good I can do every day of my life, I want to bring glory to you. Have you gotten to that point in your walk? Or are you still getting there? If you're getting there, keep working. Don't give up. But that's where you want to be. When you determine that every answer you've been, everything there is about you is about bringing glory to God. There's only one way to God, you know. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. For there is one God. There is one mediator between God and man. The main Christ Jesus who gave himself as ransom for all. Which is a testimony given at the proper time. If you are not a believer. Let me tell you there is only one God. There's only one God and there's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to the presence of God and that's through Christ Jesus. I wish there were many. I wish there were many. I, I don't know how to answer that question. Well, what about those people that never heard about, about God and Christ? I, I don't know. That's outside of my ability to really know. may have some ideas, but at the end of the day, God is a God of justice, right? So he knows what he's doing. But you are hearing now the truth that there's one God and then one mediator, only one that can negotiate your need for forgiveness and peace with God, and that's Christ Jesus. There's no other way. There are not many ways to God. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon him. Here's an invitation from the Old Testament. Come to God. Seek him. Seek the Lord where he may be found. It's a limited time offer, you know that? I don't like those commercials called the, the next 20 minutes, you know, only for the next 20 minutes. We'll take it like this. Reach out to God. Turn to God. Repent from your sin. Just for, that, for the span of your life because when your life is over, that's it. When your life is over, that's it. If Christ shows up tonight, that's it. There's no more. It's a limited time. God is not always going to be waiting for us. He's waiting for his will to be done. For as many there to be saved, they will be saved. That's what he's waiting for. But for you and me, we have that opportunity today to seek him today. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me. He's not going to play hard to get. God does not play hard to get. 
That's a game that humans, we do with each other. God doesn't do that. You, you will seek me and find me. And, and when you seek me with all your heart. The only condition is that you seek God with everything there is about you. Heart is not just the emotion. It's the center of everything that you value. When you put everything there is about you into the effort of seeking God, we say, God, I'm done. I want to know who you are. I'm here. Show up and God will show up. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. With everything there is of you. How are you seeking him? Let me encourage you. If you don't know Jesus Christ. If you have been coming to church. And, and you still don't know what this is about. You know it feels good sometimes. But you still have doubts. You, you Don't. Just get some skin in the game. Invest your life. Here is my heart, Lord. Here I am. Everything, I'll give it. What do you have to lose? If you're asking yourself right now, and you're honest with yourself, saying, is there really a God? Because I don't know. You're probably in pain. There's probably sorrow in your life. There's probably disappointment. Why not just give it to him? Maybe you're a believer, but you have... People around you who do not know God and they're suffering. Be the light. What a wonderful God we serve. A God that has created this world and we can see his power and his creation. But not only that, he really got invested. He came into our, this world. He became flesh. So that we may know him. And, be, and that we may be known by, known by him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are we're humble. I am humble. By the idea that the you, the all-powerful living God, my creator, in the midst of my sin and my disobedience, my arrogance, my rebellions, you chose to make yourself known in a special way through Christ and through the testimony of others that have been transformed by you. Lord, I'm humble and all I can say is thank you. Glory be to your name. Lord, continue to work in my own heart. Continue to work in the hearts of every one of my brothers and sisters here. Strengthen us. Help us arrive and continue to work to the point that we said every day, every moment, everything I do, I want to do for the glory of God, for the glory of the one who made me, for the glory of the one who rescued me, for the glory of one who has called me by his name. Lord, one day when we're in your presence, what a joyful day that will be. What a glorious time to be able to touch you and to fall at your feet and say thank you. In the meantime, Lord, continue to work in us. Continue, Lord, to call us to your side. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.